Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll continue our study in the book of Song of Songs, verse chapter 5, 5, verse 16. We're just talking about how the human soul started to describe God by the invitation of the saints. And if you think about all the dexologies that we have in the church, a lot of it is actually about describing the relationship between God and human. And it helps us to focus more on the description of God rather than our own self. So the human soul here is continuing to talk to the saints about who God is, what God has done, because that's the best way to get out of lukewarmness, when I focus more on my Lord. Because the reason of lukewarmness is that I look inside and I think I have reached a certain limit that I'm comfortable with. So she continued, she talked about the eyes of the Lord, she talked about the legs of the Lord, she talks about the hands of the Lord, she talks about his lips. Verse 16, she's kind of concluding the last description. She said, his mouth is most sweet. Yes, he's altogether lovely. He is my beloved. And this is my friend, O daughter of Jerusalem. She's telling, talking to the saints, describing who is the Lord. What's the difference between the mouth and the lips? The lips are the spoken word of God. But the mouth is what God has not yet said. Or it is the things that I experience but I cannot express. So she's saying his mouth is sweet, is most sweet. The experience with him is something that I cannot express. What he has not yet said or what he expressed with, with, by anything else but his lips are so beautiful. She's saying, yes, he's altogether lovely. If each one of us is looking for something, we're looking for peace, looking for love, some looking for glory, some looking for legacy, some looking for care, everything you look for, all of it is found in the Lord. He is all together lovely. She said, after she gives all this beautiful description, she's saying, but I cannot give him enough. Everything about him is so beautiful. She's saying, this is my beloved, means for I love him. And this is my friend, means for he loves me. The book of Proverbs says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. All of us can have friends, so you're friendly. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you're nice to people, you'll have a lot of friends. But there's one friend who's closer to you than your brother. It's also important to know that the only thing that I can boast about is the Lord. And it's different than anything else. Boasting about God does not cause pride. 
but it causes humility. She's talking about how beautiful God is, how amazing He is, how wonderful He is. So she is boasting about the Lord that she loves and worships. That boasting never leads to pride. St. Augustine said, a, a person of God should so appear and conduct himself that would be no one who would not desire to see him, no one who would not wish to hear him, no one who having seen him would not believe that he is the Son of God. In this case, the prophetic words will be fulfilled. His throat is most sweet and he's all lovely. I was sharing with some people earlier about a prayer that I touched my heart this week of a Western saint who's talking to God the Father. And she's saying, oh, Heavenly Father, our love in the reality is very small and imperfect, so deficient and inconstant. Look by what, by what she says. But Jesus has loved you for us. Jesus has loved you for, a, for us. The poor love that our hearts now offer you comes from the heart of your Son. Do you not recognize his, its fragrance, the unique perfume of Jesus? The beauty that is in the soul is altogether lovely, is actually not only its external beauty, but the beauty that is inside. So when she's speaking to God the Father, she's telling him, look inside, who's inside? The only begotten Son lives within me. The only begotten Son lives within me. And this is why the human soul told the daughter of Jerusalem, what did she tell them? I am love sick. I am dying because I love him and I cannot find him. It's important to know that the words we utter in prayer and utter in general are a good test to where we are in our spiritual life. One of the saints said, I tremble to think that I have to give an account of my tongue. There is life, but there is also death in the tongue. Sometimes we kill with the tongue, we commit real murder, and we are still to regard that a small thing. I truly do not understand such a conscience. I have known a person who, when she learned from someone that a certain thing was being said about her, fell seriously ill. It was not the sword that did all this, but the tongue. The words we offer, the words we say, whether in prayer, whether to each other, this is a soul talking to the saints. Who are the saints? The church members, the congregation. So as we sit together and talk, our tongue, our conversation, would express a lot about our spiritual life. Do not underestimate gossiping. Do not underestimate what you share about God. Do not underestimate your conversations, especially with the people from the church. 
because we have a lot to share. If I cannot be courageous with those who share the same faith, how can I be courageous with people outside? The daughter of Jerusalem responded after she told him this beautiful poetry of who her, who her, her beloved is. Then they asked her, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that you may seek him, that we may seek him with you? They're telling her, where did he go? We want to come with you. Let's get all of us seek him together. This is what the saints are responding. Obviously, this historically, some people say it represents the church when the Lord was there during crucifixion. And the church did not, a lot of the disciples were a bit confused and were not sure. But also, by speaking about God, the bride does not only inflame her own soul, but the souls of other people. Look in, in, in Malachi 3.16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord, those who feared the Lord, spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. Who, who is talking? People who feared God, they're speaking to one another. The Bible says, And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who mediate, meditate on his name. So the essential part of the, the idea of talking about God with our friends is an essential part of moving to a journey together with God. Sometimes what people do is somebody's failing in their spiritual life, they come to their partner or a spouse and they start like expressing the spiritual life in an angry way. Like a lot of parents will be like, uh, tell him I want tell him he must read the Bible, tell him he needs to confess, tell him this, tell him that. But sometimes this is just a reflection of our own deficits. An expression of the fact that I cannot commit to myself myself to the relationship with God so I start getting my angry out, my anger out on those who I serve if we live the life with God we won't need to tell anybody anything so sometimes for us when we cannot pray when I cannot feel the presence of God I could sit with myself and talk about who God is to me who God is to me. She said, look at what she's saying. She says, my beloved has gone to his garden, a single garden, to the beds of spices to feed his flocks in the gardens and to gather lilies. Let's break this down. Ask her, where, where did your beloved go? She said, he went down to the garden. If you guys remember Jerusalem, the garden of Gethsemane was down. Jerusalem was on a hill. If you ever go visit Jerusalem, Jerusalem was on a hill. And to go down to the garden, if you go to the garden, because many have to go down. So each time I'm lukewarm, each time I am, I am rejecting the call of God, where does he go? He goes to the garden of Gethsemane. He withdraws himself to the moments of when he suffered on our behalf. 
that he can carry more of our own darkness. The bed of spices obviously here represents the spices that was on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. It represents the tomb, the darkness of the soul, the places where we closed off to the Lord. You know, there are some people who do not confess about the sin, but almost not willing to fight. Like a bona, I cheat. But next time I get a chance to cheat, I probably will cheat. Darkness inside. Can the light of the Lord comes to this garden of darkness. One of the saints said, all graces flows from the mercy. And the last hour abounds with mercy for us. Let no one doubt concerning the goodness of God. Even if a person's sins were as dark as night, God's mercy is stronger than our misery. One thing alone is necessarily that the sinner sit upon the door of his heart, be, be it over so little, so, so lit in a ray of God's merciful grace, then God will do the rest. So what is the saint saying? She's saying, if you are in the darkness, just open the door a bit. Just read your Bible a bit. Just pray a little bit. Do something small. Open the door. Where did, where did your beloved, when she said he went to the garden, he went to the tomb, and he went to feed the flocks in the gardens. Here you see, you see gardens here is plural. So it's basically God is going to feed and cares for the church in heaven and in earth. That's why um, in Mark chapter 4, verse 28, 29, it says, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blades, then the head after the full grain and the head, but when the grain ripes immediately, he puts a sickle because the harvest has come. The Lord, he feeds and cares all the, the, the plants and the growth that happens in the church is by God feeding. Even though the soul until this moment feels she was abandoned by the Lord, he left her. She still trusts, she still speaks about him, she still knows where he is, she still understands the mystery that he does in the depth of her heart. And then what does she say? She says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flocks among the lily. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. If you open Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 16, at the beginning of her spiritual life, what did she say? She said, my beloved is mine and I am his. Now she flipped the order. She says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Initially, it's almost like she's inviting God in to be part of her life. Now she's saying, I am fully belong to him. She realized a new identity even at the moment when she felt abandoned by the Lord 
she still realized her full identity. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Wow, a whole chapter and the Lord has not yet spoken. Okay, now finally the beloved will speak. What does he say? Oh my love. See, this is beauty. God doesn't come back and be like, I knocked on the door, you did not open. It was raining. I had to go to Gethsemane. I was suffering. What were, you, what were you doing? What were you thinking? We've went through this already a couple of times. You're so foolish. None of that stuff. Oh my love. You are as beautiful as Terza. Lovely as Jerusalem. Awesome as an army with banners. Wow. Wow. The soul just messed up big time. And when the Lord comes says, you are so beautiful. The terza, by the way, means well-pleasing. If you guys remember, the kingdom of Israel had two, it was divided into two, two nations, the north and the south. The north was called Israel, and its uh, capital is Samaria. The south was called Judah, and its capital, Jerusalem. Before the capital of the north was called Samaria, it was called Terzor, and you find it in 1 Kings 16.8. It says, In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Bashab, became a king over Israel and reigned two years in Terzor. So he's telling her, you are pleasing to me. And in Hebrews uh, 13.20, says, it says, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. So God works in us to make us what? To make us beautiful. One of the fathers recently said something beautiful. He said, our life is not the sum of our failures and success. She failed few times, but the Lord still saw her beautiful. The Lord sees us with the eye of eternity when we are glorified in the kingdom. He describes her here as Jerusalem and Israel, or Jerusalem and Tazar. Why? If you guys remember the northern kingdom, they were Israelites, but they mixed with foreign nations. And Jerusalem represents the pure worship of God. So her telling her that dark side of you that mingled with the world is still well pleasing to me. Because you have repented and you've changed. One of the one of the very well-known sermons for Father Bishwe Kamel, he said, what is bad about human beings? Their desires. He said their desires is the most beautiful thing about them. Even that part that was mingled with the world and repented, God sees it beautiful. And the Lord speaks in Jeremiah about this prophecy. When he says, in those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. All of the human will become whole, become healthy, all the church. And they shall come together out of the land of the north, into the land that I have given as an inheritance to your father. 
And God continues. And what does He say? He says, Awesome, your love, He's describing His love, awesome as an army with banners. Awesome is like, like it's like awe-inspiring. She's no longer fighting for sin, but she's an army that's fighting for virtue. She's fighting to spend time with God. One of the saints were describing the moment when she prayed in the chapel, and she says, when I entered the chapel, once again in the majesty of God overwhelmed me. I felt that I was immersed in God, totally immersed in Him, and penetrated by Him, being aware of how much the Heavenly Father loves us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, You have given banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. The children of God have a sign, have a banner, that says these are the children of God. In the book, The Way of the Pilgrim, who learned, this guy learned to pray without ceasing, he said whenever he made people for a little bit, he would feel his heart is crying to spend alone time with God, to pray. One of the most famous Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, especially in the East, says a satisfied soul steps on a honeycomb. If I'm running after things in the world, the soul is not yet satisfied. Verse 5 is one of my favorite verses in the, in the book of Song of Songs, and I uh, will we'll spend a little bit of time on it. It says, then the Lord speaks, He says what? Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Turn away your eyes from me, for they have overcome me. You know, when I read this verse, I've heard it before, but when I read it in that context, something about that shook me. That beautiful soul spent a whole chapter talking about God's Never said she was crying. Never said her tears came out. Never said, oh Lord, look at my tears and look at what I'm offering you and look at my sacrifice and look at this and look at this and look at my misery and my, 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 my. Nothing. As she was describing her love, she was tearing. The tears were flowing. But there were not a single moment to focus on herself. It is fully focused on her love to the Lord. How can such a love be so beautiful? 
the Lord looks at her and tells her, your love have overcome me. The expression, the same expression that's used for an army when it overcomes. The Lord have looked at the eyes that is full of love. This is not the eye that's whining and complaining and not happy and not satisfied. This love, this eye doesn't overcome anything. This eye But the eyes that overcome is the eyes that speaks about the Lord. That's why in the Psalms it says, But my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the nets. I must keep my focus on the Lord and describing him. This also, by the way, represents in a church context. We said, we said here it represents the soul, the church, represents the restra restoration of Jesus Christ to the whole church after resurrection. When he starts sending a whole, the church as a whole army, in Mark 16, 15 to 18, it says, And he said to them, Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Do you want to read the rest of this chapter? Look at what he says, because this is one of the most difficult verses in the Gospel of Mark. Look at what the Lord says. And these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those who eh, believe. This is in Mark. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will be by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These are the signs that follow what? Those who what? Believe. This is the new church, the victorious church. This is the new eyes, the beautiful eyes that were born out of the marriage to God. The Lord describes the church as a flock of goats going down from Gilead looks at the church as a unity. You know, there's a beauty when the church repent together, fast together. People will be like, oh, you know, I'm going on vacation. Can I fast a week earlier, a week later? Where is the power of fasting together? Pray together, repent together. There are special blessings only given to the community, not to the individual. Her heavenly blessing only given to the community. I want to feel I am part of the church. I want to feel I am in a journey with the daughters of Jerusalem to get to know the Lord. The Lord speaks, now describes the soul. He says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come from the washing, everyone bears twin, and none is barren among them. Does this verse sound familiar? Is this verse exactly repeated, Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. The Lord is repeating the same description he has for the soul. This repetition is not in vain. It is to show the human soul, regardless of what spiritual state you're in, 
the love of the Lord is steadfast to you. The Lord says in Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. It gives us comfort that the love of God toward me does not change. You know, like, if you're a parent and you have multiple children, and you love all of them the same, all of them are beautiful. But you have one child who is spending a lot more time with you, who whenever you need something, you can rely on them. He's probably the one that knows you the most and understands your love the most. The soul did not understood the Lord as much very early on, but now as she moves on, the Lord explains, she understands more of the Lord. He says, like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. The fact that the, even though the soul was, was lukewarm, but the fact that she ran after him, she quickly regained her first state of, remember we said what the pomegranate behind, beyond the, behind the veil represents the humility, being shy, being unworthy. Even though the Lord knocked on her door and she said, I'm not going to get up, I, you know, I, I'm not going to put on my rope again, take off my rope and my feet as well. She gave all these excuses. But the Lord did not tell her, now you speak and now you argue and now blah, blah, blah. None of this stuff. He said, you still look as humble, as beautiful in my eyes. It's similar exactly to what happened with Peter. When the Lord met him after resurrection, the Lord never told him, I told you you're going to deny me, and you denied me. Hmm? See, you're a loser. Never said that. He said, Peter, I know you love me. I want you to say it out loud. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You love me. Yes, I love you. That's all what the Lord cared about. And then the Lord started describing more of her beauty. He said, these are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without numbers. Here, the Lord is looking at somebody who praises the whole church. Not only, or praises the, all the virtues of the human soul. And, and these numbers have some meanings. The 60 queens, one of the fathers, says the church appearing as a queen through the reign of God over her feelings. Because number 60 represents what? 12 times 5. 12, if you guys remember in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes. In the New Testament, 12 disciples. The doors of Jerusalem are 12. The number 12 usually represents the children of the kingdom. And number 5 represents the senses, represents the 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 grace that the soul receives. That's why in the feeding the multitude was 500. So the children of God who enjoyed the grace of God. He says, when I look at your, your, your face, I see the grace on you. 80 concubines reminds us a little bit of the asceticism in the life of the human soul. 80 is 8 times 10. And eight represents the eternal glory because it's the new beginning. Seven is a completion of days, so eight is a new beginning. And ten represents the Ten Commandments. So those who submitted themselves to the commandment of God, 
I look at the life of the asceticism you have offered and it looks so beautiful. It says, virgins without number. Points, if it's a human soul, points to the, to the, all, all, the whole life of the human soul. Like the amount of love that it has, it has offered, if you offered me, I look at it as it's infinite. Or it looks at all the souls in the church. That's why in Revelation 7, 9 says, These things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nation, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with the white robes and with palm branches in their hands. The Lord here is talking about what? About virgins without number. The Lord is praising the inner life of this human soul. One of the saints said, My heart is drawn there where my God is hidden, where he dwells with us day and night, clothed in the white host. He governs the whole world. He communes with souls. Here, the Lord talks about every day, every moment of the life of this beautiful soul were so accepted to him. He says, my love, my dove, my perfect one is the only one, the only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughter saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. The Lord here looks at the church or looks at the human soul and see it's so perfect. Why is it so perfect? Because the Holy Spirit have gathered the whole church. It says, my dove, my perfect one. You see this in Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. When the church becomes attached to Jesus, united with Jesus, it becomes perfect. When the Lord said, become perfect, it's not an act of me doing perfect things. It's an act of me binding and abiding in the perfect one of the, Jesus Christ. He says, he said, and he talks about, but only one of her mother. What is he talking about here? He's talking about heavenly Jerusalem. You see this in Galatians 4.26. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is mother of us all. The church in heaven is free, and she is the mother of all of us. And by the way, when he talks about her sister and herself, I'm just explaining these parts because the sister and herself are, are she is sister with one with herself like they're all one family and you see this in John 10 when the Lord said and other sheep I have which are not of this fold them also I must bring so even though when the Lord talks about a sister and a, and a, and a, 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 a church and a sister these two sisters will become one church one fold at the end and then look here he says a favorite, if a favorite one who bore her, the daughter saw her and called her blessed. The queens, the concubines praised her. She was somebody that's chosen, exalted above all others. Why was she chosen? Because of her love to God.
One of the saints said, No greater joy is to be found than that of loving God. Already here on earth we can taste the happiness of those in heaven by the intimate union with God, a union that's extraordinary and often quite incomprehensible to us. One can attain this by the very grace through simple faithfulness of soul. All the daughters blessed her. All the daughters look at the human soul that is being perfected. And they give blessing to the Lord for allowing such a soul to be among them. The, the, Lord, look, the, the Lord describes the soul as if he's like, it's unbelievable. His description of how he loves us, much better than we describe him. He says, look at them. He says, who is she who looks forth as the morning? It's like good morning sunshine kind of. Like who's this coming out? Looks forth as the morning. Fair as the moon. Clear as the sun. Awesome as an army with banners. This is God describing you and me. Who is this who looks forth as the morning? When I look at myself in the mirror in the morning, it's depressing. Right? See how the Lord sees us in the morning. It's unbelievable. Look, what is he saying? Who is she who looks forth as the morning? As the morning means she has not yet come to the fullness of her light. But she is in her path. I just told you earlier that the Lord looks at us from the eyes of the eternity. In Proverbs 4.18 he says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. There's a glory that God sees that will come every morning. It says noon. It says fair as the moon. Shining in the night, but the light of the moon is borrowed from the sun. And that's why in Second Corinthians it says, but we all with unveiled, unveiled face beheld, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So how I am a moon, I'm looking through a veil, a God. Don't see him fully. But as I'm looking through the veil of the body, I am being transformed into the image of the Lord. One of the saints says, I have come to know that in order for God to act in a soul, it must give up acting on its own. Otherwise, God will not carry out His will in it. If you want that full glory, let God work in you. And then the Lord says, clear as the sun, like her justification is beautiful because she's justified by God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'll share with you one final saying of one of the saints. It says, I desire, O oh my Jesus, to suffer and burn with the flame of your love in all circumstances of my life. I am yours completely yours, 
and I wish to disappear in you, O Jesus. I wish to be lost in your divine beauty. You pursue me with your love, O Lord. You penetrate my soul like a ray of the sun and change its darkness into your light. I feel very, very vividly that I am living in you as one small spark swallowed up by the incomprehensible fire with which you burn, O inconceivable Trinity. The Lord looks at the soul, sees perfection of eternity, sees the righteousness of the Son of the Lord, sees a whole host of army. This is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angels, the Lord of the armies. You see this in Daniel 12, 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.